Welcome to Canadian Defence Focus from CDR Radio, produced by Canadian Defence Review Magazine. This series of podcasts features interviews with leaders and experts in the defence industry, as well as reports and profiles on the very latest in defence technology. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the CDR Radio podcast. I'm James Careless, Ottawa Bureau Chief with Canadian Defence Review, Canada's leading defence magazine. This time on the CDR Radio podcast, we're speaking with Jean-Claude Sieu. He is Vice President for Technology and Simulation at Blue Drop Training and Simulation, Blue Drop for short. Based in Halifax, Blue Drop Training and Simulation designs, develops, and integrates advanced training solutions. Their portfolio includes simulation products such as the extremely realistic Rear Crew Mission Trainer. It is used by helicopter hoist operators in the Canadian Armed Forces. Jean-Claude Sieu is here to tell us about Blue Drop's role in supporting CAF training, how Blue Drop has enabled remote work and service during COVID, and why he thinks it is time for Canadians to return to the office. Hi, Jean-Claude. Thanks for joining us on the CDR Radio podcast. Hi, I'm happy to be here. Okay, first off, please tell us more about Blue Drop Training and Simulation and the services you provide to the CAF. Yeah, so I'm happy to say that Blue Drop is actually fairly well known now in the uh, military domain in Canada. And we are known because we're a small medium enterprise to begin with, and we have fairly large service and product offering, which makes us, you know, very interesting for large programs in Canada. So BlueDrop were provider of both products and services. So we're very well known for courseware development services and also for technical publication services. And as we said, for simulation products, mainly for rear crew training, where we have specialized in hoist operation and also gunnery operations to help out to operate the rear crew side of, of the helicopter, for example. As you know, the front part is very well served with large organizations and so on, but the rear crew section must benefit from the same simulation capabilities. We are also providing in-service support for large programs. So for example, for my helicopter program, for the CFTS program, and we operate in Navy, Air Force, and also Army uh, for the Canadian Armed Forces. So. In summary, a fairly large span of capabilities, both in products and in services, and have been in business for a very long time and a very well-known small medium enterprise. Okay, let's talk about the rear crew mission trainer because this is a really unique product. Uh, can you walk it through for us to give the listeners a sense of what it actually is and why it uses augmented reality to help trainees really learn how to do their job safely? Correct. So, as I said earlier, it is incredible that, you know, the rear crew uh, uh, staff and operators are not getting the same level of capabilities of simulation as the front crew. A lot of effort has been put to make, you know, full flight simulators, flight training devices incredibly realistic. But from a rear crew perspective, it's very much now a very hardware-based, very static, and where you have kind of full fuselage and, you know, where people need to train actually in the actual helicopter. So what we set out to do 
is really to help out the rear crew staff to benefit from the simulation capabilities. And mainly the hoist operator himself, as you know, it can be extremely dangerous to operate in different conditions. And when you need a hoist operator to help you, it's normally a very difficult situation. So what we set out to do is to have a very realistic environment like you would have for a front crew. And we do use virtual reality in this case and take benefit of that new technology. The only thing we found is that to be able to make it as realistic as possible, you need haptic feedback. So we've put a lot of time to come up with a system that will provide you that cable dynamic, because as you know, the host operator will be operating a cable as realistic as possible. So the complementation, the complementary approach of virtual reality and augmented with the full haptics of dynamic cable, which moves as it would in a helicopter and would change dynamically its reaction to push and pull, to wind directions, to weight, because depending on what you're pulling up, the weight will be different, and obviously attitude of the helicopter and so on. So we put a lot of effort to make that virtual approach plus that haptic approach work together. And we are very well known now in the domain. So to paint a picture for the listeners, the trainer itself uses a realistic physical environment with realistic physical controls, including, as Jean-Claude mentioned, an actual cable with feedback that moves around. But at the same time, the user is wearing a head-mounted display, and so they're seeing it in virtual. So it's basically the reality is a frame with the, the feedback of the devices and things realistically placed. But then once you put on the headset, all the elements of that would be in the real environment come into play, the inside of the helicopter, what the equipment looks like, where it is, and even, in fact, the other crew members who are in the training. Is that correct? That's correct. So we take a lot of attention to ensure that from the trainee perspective, that he's fully immersed. So there's the haptic part, as I mentioned, for the cable and so on. And then there are very important areas at the door area where it becomes very important. For example, by reflex, let's say, an operator will hold on to a handle, not to fall over, for example. So we need to make sure that the surroundings, the hardware surroundings, which is very close to the door, obviously, are very well represent represented from a hardware perspective. However, the virtual side is overlaid on top of that. So when the person grabs the cable or when the person grabs a handle, it needs to be there. So it's perfectly overlaid so that the environment stays true. And if the person turns around, it will actually see the environment of, for example, an S-92 or a Cyclone helicopter, which we did for Shearwater, or a Comron helicopter, which we did for Comox on the West Coast and so on. So we can have a complete representation of the training environment and of the actual environment when it comes to a helicopter. Now, in the same vein, you have other virtual reality products for training rear gunners and side gunners in which, again, they have actual physical equipment they can interact with. Can you tell us about that? So exactly. So we are taking advantage of new technologies, obviously. So before we started off having, as I said, a virtual environment, whereas you 
properly overlay the virtual view on top of the actual piece of equipment, in this case, a gunnery piece of equipment with, that you're going to operate and, and so on. Now, with the mixed reality capabilities, I mean, people call it mixed reality, augmented reality, so it depends on definition, we can actually get you to see physical things on top of the virtual pieces of what the environment should look like. So, for example, in this case, you will see your actual hands. You can see the actual gun. However, you are shooting in a virtual world. So you can see that that approach provides the benefit of the hardware piece that you need to have full haptics and real representation of a piece of equipment and the virtual view, which permits you to operate into a simulator day. Now, the interesting thing, of course, of the simulation is that the guns are based on the actual guns, including having the limits of those guns, including jams. You have to clear them. You run out of ammunition. So you're not in some sort of Star Wars game just going, you know, pew, pew, pew. You are dealing with reality. Exactly. So depending on the helicopter type and, and the type of equipment that you will be using, we'll have, call it simulated guns, but which looks extremely realistic and, and with all the haptics, for example, if you have an M240, which is a fairly big gun, I mean, the, the, the reaction on that gun, I mean, it feels like a sledgehammer when you, when you, when you operate that and we, the, the, the trainee will have exactly the same, the same type of reaction and haptics in these hands. Now, how is the armed forces using your training devices? Well, now that we've sketched it out, how are they using them? And what sort of results are they getting from them? Yeah, so that's a very good question. So one of the challenges we had at the beginning, because we come up with a new piece of equipment where we introduce a, a new way of training within, call it a very traditional uh, continuum of training where uh, people would normally use, as I said, very much the true hardware and very static winch and and. and and hoist and then go straight into the helicopter. Now suddenly we come up with a piece of equipment which, like the full flight in the days of the beginning of the full flight, come in and, and provide you that capability of training and so on. So we had to work with the customers and the uh, operators to define with them how that will be part of the training continuum while taking away some of the actual aircraft flights and so on, as you know, which burns lots of fuel and costs money to do that. But how do we introduce that into the continuum of training? So what we found is that there are two main pieces, obviously ab initio. So you will have students that or trainees who will still learn very static way of, of using a hoist. But then now they need we need to put them in a specific environment. How do you pick up someone, an injured person, for example, on flat terrain. And then how do you do that, however, on slope terrain? And then how do you do that on a ship? And so on and so forth. As you could see, there's those different environments. Unless you go in the, in the helicopter itself, you cannot train those. But with this new piece of equipment, suddenly, as I said, you have a new way of training, which adds that virtual capability, which makes you do repeated training for 
areas where normally it would be very low repetition and high risk. So you can train those. And then at the other extreme, we can get mission training done. So if you have a mission, whereas you can have a node, so you have a ship, right, a ship in trouble, then you need to take off and you need to go. You just don't know what's going to happen. But we can build those scenarios so that now that a host operator is qualified to operate the host, but now how do we put them in those dangerous and, and predictive situations for them to train? So as you can see, it covers a very good chunk of the continuum, whereas it could be used for ab initio type training once the person has knows how to operate a physical piece of equipment, in this case, the hoist, but put them in those very specific situations. And then at the other extreme, put them in very dangerous, I mean, simulated in this case, very predictive mission training type situations so they can train. As I said, for normally, you won't go out and just fly a helicopter in bad weather just to train for that. <laughs> but however, when it happens, it's normally bad weather. So how can you train for that? Can you get the proper reflexes and so on so that when this happens, you have very effective people and, and mainly from a safety perspective, and make it very safe for people to train. So that's where we're coming in. So both ab initio and very much mission training side for the, for the training. And this is, of course, very hands-on training. How have you managed to support it during COVID-19? So we had two things going. So for us, we have, as I said, products and services. So from the product side, the good thing, I mean, when you have a good design, good manuals, and good supporting equipment, and also most of our equipment still in Canada. So the support, can, we can say that it was easier if this would have to happen somewhere in the US or, or in Australia and so on and so forth. So the, the product support itself was fairly straightforward, whereas we had very good equipment and so on. On the service side, as you know, it's very much people working. The good thing is that for the last two, three years already, we had been investing a lot in our IT infrastructure and for digital transformation, for our own uh, efficiency and so on and so forth. And good thing we did this because as you could see, once COVID hit, everybody was working from home and we were ready for that. So for the services side, still today, most people are working from home. We have to be careful, however, as you know, there are areas because of what we use, for example, in the military domain for, for security levels and so on, that we need people on site. And we had all the proper public health protocols set in place at the office. But again, there were very little number of people at the office. Most of the people were working off-site. Speaking of off-site, I understand that you're advocating for people to get back to the office now. Why so? When I say that, I need to put it in context. So, first of all, in the domain we are, as I said, there are security levels to be respected and that we need to follow the policies and so on. So, that needs to be kept in mind that based on what we do, meaning we do operate in the military domain, so there are security levels to be respected. So, there are programs that will call for higher level of security and, and that physical presence will be a need. There have been 
more flexibility during COVID, obviously, but we don't know how long that's going to take. And we do expect that uh, uh, there will be requirements when we when you look at control goods and so on and so forth, there are security levels that we need to be respected. So there's that. The second thing is, before we talk about going back to the office, we need to have a very solid IT. And I mentioned that earlier. If you don't have that, again, it'd be very difficult to operate in a, call it hybrid approach or, or and so on without uh, having a solid IT. So, and the third thing is, we are very careful in terms of ensuring our staff health and safety and ensuring that we follow all provincial rules, uh, public health protocols and so on. So the context is there. We need to know that. Now, come, I wouldn't say October, because probably that, that's probably impossible, but come January, February of next year, when things get better and things are getting better, how will we operate? And one thing we have figured out, not figured out, the one thing we've been thinking is that can we carry on like that, which can be a possibility, or should we be going back to the office and so on? We believe that, you know, from a productivity perspective, there's no question. I think people have seen that from a productivity perspective, there's not big reasons why you should be going back to the office. And what we believe is, unfortunately, this is not the right question to ask. Are you productive or not? And so on. We believe for a company like a small, medium company, we have always been known for our people. We have always been known for our culture. We've always been known for how we interact with our customers and so on. So one of the things we believe is that it's time to go back to the office to be able to preserve, more importantly, the company because of its culture and people. It's not just about being productive. It's who we are and, and what the company is about. From an innovation perspective, who we are, from a giving back perspective, we do a lot in the community and that comes straight from the staff. We do a lot. How do we preserve that? And the other thing we figured out is that while uh, during COVID and during the last year, we have been very fortunate because we have actually grown. So we have hired many new staff and so on, through Teams and Zoom and so on and so forth. But one of the things is that we just don't know the people. I just went to Halifax last week and there were 10, 15 people at the office at best, but I didn't know who they were. And in our culture, we normally walk around, we talk to the people and so on and so forth. What we do not want is that people just become numbers People just become a face on a square on a screen. We need to be able to get back to preserving who we are as a company and also for the staff. People need to be people. A company is about people, not just being productive. So that's why we believe we need to, it's time to go back. And the reason should not just be about productivity, but also about preserving what the company is all about. Okay, let's talk about the future. What new training products are you working on at Blue Drop? As I said, well, uh, we have lots of work on the go. So on the service side, we are working on multiple programs. And the, and the most notable, I would say, is with the Vancouver shipyards for the joint support ship. We're doing the training for that and also the technical publications for that new, new ship type, which is being built right now on the West Coast. So that's 
that's a big one. Uh, and also on the product side, which is we're building a what we call a ramp trainer, but it's a call it a rear crew trainer for the CV22 Osprey. So which will be a rear crew trainer, which will include both gunnery, rear ramp gunnery, side gunnery, but also a hoist system. And that will be the first, I would say, call it mixed reality equipment that we will be putting out. So that's very interesting. We're building a hoist mission trainer for Cougar on the, on, in St. John's, and that is dedicated for ocean and Arctic type operation. As you know, that that's a very difficult environment to operate with, meaning those missions always happen in terrible weather, wind, and you know, over Arctic type uh, environment. And we're also building a hoist mission trainer for the, uh, um, the combat rescue helicopter, which is a Black Hawk in the US and so on. So that's just to name a few. But what we keep doing is we are reinvesting constantly in R&D. So other than those equipment that were adding features, adding capabilities, as I said, mixed reality and so on, we are also investing in how trainees going to be measured going forward, meaning not just having an instructor uh, telling them if they're doing well or not well. How do we measure properly their actions and provide real-time feedback and provide uh, analytics on the actions taken and so on and so forth. We're lucky that other than being services and products, we have our own learning management system. So we're adding that into the equation to make sure that going forward, it's not just about the machine, but it's also about the tools that are being provided to improve the trainee feedback and to improve adaptive training and to provide objective data to be able to, to show how a trainee is doing and how do we improve. So lots happening on the R&D side also. Finally, what do you expect the defense market to be like for Blue Drop going forward, given the continued uncertain economic climate? So I'm ambivalent on that because I know from a overall economic perspective, it's, it's very uncertain. But in the military domain uh, where we are, and mainly in Canada, but we're growing outside Canada, obviously. But in Canada, if we stop to that, we have been very fortunate because programs that have been uh, in in the plans are ongoing. So, for example, uh, fixed wing saw obviously is ongoing because it's, it's still in a live program. The Canadian uh, surface combatant is ongoing. So again, maybe some delays, but it's ongoing. And you look at looking forward, there's the future echo training program coming down the pipe. You have LVCTS, you have the, the RPAS program, which is a remote piloted aircraft system. So all I'm saying is that in the pipeline of programs on you know, Canadian standpoint from the CF perspective, those programs are still in the plans and either happening or to, to happen uh, soon as uh, RFPs and so on. And there's no 
no indication right now that those will will uh, stop. Maybe delays, but definitely still in the plan. So we believe the for us anyway, we have been growing. We are growing still this year, and we look at down the road that we can maintain that level. So we're actually very bullish going forward. Okay. Well, thank you, Jean-Claude, for joining us today. No problem. That has been uh, my pleasure to participate. You've been listening to the latest in the CDR radio podcast series. They are produced by Canadian Defence Review, Canada's leading defence magazine. I've been speaking with Jean-Claude Sioux. He is Vice President for Technology and Simulation at Blue Drop Training and Simulation. To hear more CDR radio podcasts, go to www.canadiandefensereview.com or find us on iTunes and Google Play under CDR Radio. I'm James Careless. Thank you for listening to the CDR Radio podcast. Talk to you again next time. Tune in next time for another Canadian defense-focused podcast from CDR Radio.